Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. I always tell people every time on this show, it's time to stop reading other people's success stories and really start writing your own. I always tell people to leave with your gifts, gifts I call your passion, and don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My next guest is really in that, that, that era where I'm talking about it. A lot of people can tell you you're gifted in certain areas, and you can go into that direction. I'm going to talk about some of my experiences as she shares some of her experiences. And my next guest is Michelle Williams. Who is Michelle Williams? She's a Grammy Award-winning recording artist and actress, one of my favorite people who rose to stardom as the member of the R&B R&B mega group, or iconic mega group, Destiny's Child, and most recently appeared as The Butterfly. I saw her on the hit series, Mass Singer. Michelle is passionate about raising awareness and mental health, about sharing the lessons she has learned in her own struggle with depression. She's on the show to discuss her very first book, Checking In, How Getting Real About Depression Saved My Life and Can Save Yours. Michelle Sarah is an intimate, never-before told stories about how, even in the midst of enormous fame and success, she battled the Depression, leading to her to find a true calling as an advocate for mental health, especially her own. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Tanitra Michelle Williams. <laughs> How you doing? Listen. <laughs> yes, whole name, full name. Tanitra. I, I, Tanitra. You know, I'm going to start out with the name first because uh, my name's Rashawn McDonald. And um, a lot of people over the years have always, uh, I, remember as a, I remember I was like 22 years old and this guy came to me, I was working, he said, Rashawn, what is your name? Because people would say, I let people say Russian or Rashawn or Rashawn, they just say it in any kind of way. He said, make a, he said make, make a decision about your name. And when I made that decision about my name, it really defined who I am today because I, I stuck with, I, st- I fought for it and I, st- and I held on to it. And, I, and today it defines me. I would tell people if I was a Ricky or Ronald or, or anything else, I probably wouldn't be the person I am in some ways. I'd be successful, but it gave me an extra bonus. And to hear when I start reading about, and it's in the very early part of the book, your name, it played a big role. I want to talk about that whole process because it plays out today. And when I wanted to make sure that I introduce you with your whole name, not just the middle name, Michelle, Tanitra, a beautiful name. Let's talk about that. Thank you so much. Yes, so my first name is Tanitra. My middle name is Michelle. Mm -hmm. And I remember having to make that decision on um, me not using Tanitra. And um, if you read the book, you know the reason, Rashawn, because you read the book. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to give away the reason. Well, I don't don't think that. I'm not asking you to give away a reason. I I think because my reason was, and there's a lot of people sitting out there. That's why the book is relatable to me. Because, you know, we do. You know, we do. mm -hmm. You can continue, Michelle. Yes, sir. So I, you know, making that decision. Well, do I want to go by Tanitra or Michelle? Um, Now, the reason presented Y'all going to have to get the book because yeah, I don't want to, if I give it away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, but what I will say is, obviously, I didn't, I 
didn't go on to have a problem with the name change. Right. Because I felt like it afforded me, it afforded my family to have a piece of me mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. because the world is getting everything right now. Mm-hmm. They're, you know what I'm saying? I'm away from home. I'm having to sacrifice being mm-hmm. at graduations, baby showers, mm-hmm. fish fries, mm-hmm. everything that I normally would be with my family. at. And so when I come home, I felt like they were getting to Nitra, right? But then at the same time, it's like, well, so you saying, so then what was the world getting? We weren't getting you and who you really are. And it's like, yes, you were, but there are so many entertainers who, um, I mean, you got people like, say, The Rock, for Mm -hmm. instance. You're Mm -hmm. still getting him, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if his parents... Or family members are calling him The Rock. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Well, you know, the interesting um, thing about it is that you're not the first person that deals. Like, definitely Cedric, not the Cedric first the entertainer, person. Cedric Cedric Kyle. But, I, I remember I yeah. talked to him about that. You know, The Rock says, call me Dwayne Johnson. 50 Cent's Curtis Jackson. So there are a lot of issues with names because they can't define you. And it's important that people understand that names start respect and also accountability yeah. and also, in this case, branding. You know, you're branded right now as Michelle Williams, an, a, an incredible singer, a member of the iconic Destiny's Child, a great actress, a motivator, uh, an entrepreneur. But then there is Tanitra, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and I, and I feel like that definitely at least the past 10 years for sure. Y'all have been getting to Nitra, mm-hmm. okay? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the blessing of this conversation because I, I you know, because you we used to sit in my office and when I was in Chicago all the yeah. time and Steve Harvey talk show and we'd have conversations and so and I and, and I you know I'm not saying I, I noticed anything, but I, I started seeing a, a different level of independence. You were trying to find yourself. Your your when you put your footprint in, is that my footprint or is it somebody else's footprint? But we could talk about those journeys and that's that's what I want to talk about because it led to your book. It led to the revelations that I'm not being me because success is really, and that's what I loved about the book because it talks about success and defining how success can lead to destructive behavior or destructive lifestyles just emotionally. And sometimes people think destructive physically, it has to be physical. And not, but the middle part of it is, is really the part that can also hurt the most, correct? Absolutely. There are so many people coming into the entertainment industry or even in the world of sports. Um, Physically, obviously, you might be doing all right. You're strong in football. You're doing, you know, you got scouts going to the combine. You're, You're running fast or in the world of entertainment, you're looking good. You're singing good or you act really good, whatever that whatever that is. But so many of us are coming into these spaces um, with dysfunction, with wounds, really, that stem from childhood. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they start to manifest um, tremendously in your adulthood. Mm-hmm. And when it's gone unchecked, it can lead to some really serious problems. Right. You know, and like you have beautiful parents. First of all, the book is dedicated to your dad. So let's yes. let's let's make sure we get that clear, you know, yes. when she says those statements, you know. Uh, you know, brothers and sisters, twin sisters, <clears throat> brother. So, you know, uh, all these little facts you get from the book. See, that's how I kinda know it a little bit better now. <laughs> Cause I read. 
Um, and, this, and this book here, when I when I started looking at myself, is that because this is what I love about the book that we're talking about, talking to Michelle Williams, uh, checking in, how getting real about depression saved my life and can save yours, is that when you live a life out in the open book, that's what it becomes, especially with social media, because you your career was tied to social media. You know, it, it blew up during that era. The internet era blew up during the Destiny's Child era. So you couldn't hide. You couldn't run. Your photos were taken. They were being posted. So everything, so you almost, from an emotional standpoint, you really couldn't live a life of secrecy because you was always being exposed by cameras and paparazzis and TMZ. That led a lot to you trying to define yourself. And let's talk about defining who Michelle is. And 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 when I say that, but I want you to talk a little bit, but then I'm going to go back to, you know, you attending Illinois State, because I think that's a part of the conversation we need to talk about, because it, it helps define where we're going to go with the future, because mm. I, I think your future is uh, going back to college. So, but that's, that's another conversation. <laughs> Rashawn, I kid you not, literally, maybe about 10 minutes before I logged on here, mm-hmm. I literally was finishing up my conversation with the university about my fall 2021 enrollment to yeah. get a bachelor's in psychology. Yeah. I, um, I, I was telling my staff, I said, I said, cause they always say, Rishon, you know, you're going to tell people what's on your mind anyway. You know, you, you, you yeah. and I said, I said, I got to tell her, she got to go back to college. I said, because that's a part of her life. That's important to define herself because you're successful, Michelle, you know, now I just want you to live your life. Now, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. You're beautiful. You're gifted. You care. You have a mm-hmm. legacy. Now, what is your legacy? But you're, you're, I'm talking about your legacy. You're like, you know, one of the reasons, uh, you know, uh, when I talk about my, my life with Steve Harvey, and, and I was telling my team was that I remember when, um, you know, a lot of people don't know I was a stand-up comedian. And so that's how Steve Harvey and I met. We were doing stand-up. He was my opening act, and as he became successful, and uh, and I was still being a stand-up. And people just always tell me, Rashawn, you're just as funny as Steve Harvey." I go, that, "I don't want to do stand-up." Oh no, why? Hey, 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 I don't want to do stand-up. Okay, just because that's a decision I'm, ma- I'm making. So, and so, and I'm that very happy I decided not to do stand-up because I'm doing what I want to do. I love producing. Mm. I love managing. I love being creative. And then God has given me these gifts. And so God gives us a lot of blessing. That doesn't mean that you have to act on the blessing. And so God is giving this tremendous gift to sing, to entertain, but that's one of the blessings. And so that's what my conversation today, when I said my, my, to my team, I was like, I tell Michelle, she got to go back to college. She got to go. She got to live out that blessing that God put her down that path and another gift took her off it. But she got to go back to the original blessing when she wanted to be going with criminal justice, you know, Illinois State. She has to go back for that. And to hear you say that, this perfect phone call. Perfect phone. It, it's amazing. And like you said, living a life of, you know, being able to do what you want to do. Music has afforded me this chance to, you know, a legacy of a person where I feel that I've been resilient. I've displayed courage. And um, I want to make sure that I am excellent in every path that I take. Right. You know, you're ex- being excellent in music, excellent in Broadway and theater, 
you know, now it's time to take that because I I get confirmation daily of this next path. Mm -hmm. And that is to help others. Mm -hmm. Now I can continue to help others just through my testimony. Mm -hmm. But a part of me is like, well, what if I want to take it a next step and counsel people legally? Right. <laughs> you know, because, you know, you have to get, have at least some type of certification mm -hmm. um, to go into counseling. I really want to help people in entertainment and sports because I don't feel like we have to live these lives with so much dis with, with, with dysfunction or not identifying hurts that trigger certain behaviors and responses. Because just because I was hurt in my childhood does not mean, does not give me the right to go hurting people as an adult. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like identify what's got you angry, upset or sad or depressed or riddled with anxiety. Let's deal with that. Let's get the proper treatment whether it's medication or whether it's just because some people may not need medication. Sometimes the root just um, uprooting something just by talking about something and identifying it. And then I really feel like we can go on to be more whole um, and and have great quality relationships because if every relationship around you is crumbling whether it be in your career or personal relationships, it's okay to sit down and process that with somebody and for someone to say, okay, let's get down to the root of it. Now you don't have to make a lot of apologies to some people you hurt, but let's get to the root of it. Wow. This is not the girl who was in my Chicago office. I love Listen, this. The girl in your Chicago office, I was scared. It was like, I wanted to do everything. Rashawn, I even asked you, I said, can you help me? Mm -hmm. And and it's like, my mother says, I love when my mother would always say, keep living, baby, keep living. Mm -hmm. You will eventually find that passion in your calling. Because Rashawn, you could have, you told me to do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You saw I could be doing a lot of things, but what is now my passion and what I believe is just another addition to my purpose. And well, that's the conversation we're having right now. Absolutely. I remember I always tell people that more and more, I, this show has helped me a lot because first of all, it's allowed me how, to see how I've impacted a lot of people. And yes, didn't sir. Know it, and didn't know that. I just got to get one of those cakes. We got to do some, <laughs> some fried pies Absolutely. I, you know I do it show. for you. I got to do anything for you. And <laughs> I always tell people about gifts. And I talk about gifts. And I always say this day about talking to my daughter this weekend because I was talking about and empowering her to be more than just an individual tied to one vision. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, in October 9th, 1991, October 9th, that's a day I I was talking to God. I was saying, mm. I said, if you allow me to just explore all of my talents, I will give 100% to everything. I will not cheat you. I will. So other people always say, why are you multitask? You're such good. Because I, I made a commitment. I made a commitment. To, he he told me I can do all these things. I have to I have to do what I say. And so, so when I look at you, you're one of those people with a lot of talents. And so now, when I, and this is what's been fortunate for me, I've been able to complete some of those things. You know, like I got my college degree. You know, everything I've you know, I went to IB. I wanted to do that. I wanted to be a successful comedian. I wanted to be on television. So I'm willing to walk away from certain things. Mm -hmm. And so when I read the book. This is what's happening to you. That I, the, the, I won't use the word courage, but the willingness to look in the mirror and say, you know, so I'm good with that. 
I'm good. I can walk away and be Michelle. And what I'm hearing you talk right now, it didn't matter that you, I didn't want to hear you sing. I wanted to, you were motivating me. You were encouraging me. You were empowering me because I heard an honest tone of like uplift from you and you didn't sing a note. And that's why it was so beautiful. And that's why I was like, this is going to be a great interview because for the first time, she and I can just talk and talk about my flaws, talk about her flaws, talk about how her book is making me a better person and making me understand that I too walk that journey and how I handle it. And maybe I can help her with some advice on how she can handle it too. But my number one thing is be yourself. Mm, that's so good. This see every time you and I talk, you you just give me even if it's just something practical. I appreciate you for that. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate you. I've always appreciated mm, you. Wow. And this book, um, when I when I when I look at this book, and I because I interview a lot, I probably read I've interviewed probably over six hundred people on money making conversations. Read at least one hundred and fifty books, and each book tells mm. a different story. But when I get a book like your book that talks about decisions, uh, talk about living your gifts, about making the decisions for you. And that's what this book is about right now, Michelle. And so as we as we go into this interview, why was it so important to really write this book? Woo! Um, well, you have probably encouraged people to tell their own stories and not to let anybody else tell the story yes. for them. Mm -hmm. And that's just where I was um, when I go back to the year 2018. And when I was at when I was hospitalized in 2018, you know, I could imagine the thoughts that were running in people's heads. Not that it's really anybody's business, but by the time I felt like the way in which I had to release a statement about my hospitalization because TMZ found out mm -hmm. And I did not want some narrative out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was able to craft a statement while I'm in the hospital seeking treatment for depression and anxiety. Um, I had to release a statement and tell people, yes, I, in fact, have been in the hospital. I'm actually, you know, taking the advice that I myself give to others, which is to seek help. And... Um, and then fast forward to the year 2019, when the book process started, it was healing for me and, and it was restored for me. And I don't know if it's a part of me that wants to have a little bit of control, right. but it was to kind of take the power back in the shame that were in those two words, checking in, because I felt like a hypocrite. I was embarrassed, especially when I people kind of found out. I didn't that now that's the good thing about being Tanitra is, you know, I, I called myself being able to check into the hospital under that name. Right. But someone still found out. Um, but it was to take the power back um, and to tell my own story. But to give another person maybe a name to maybe what it is they're feeling because I didn't get a proper diagnosis until I was in my thirties. Right. Mm -hmm. So can you imagine a young person right now that's reading that book that can say, Oh my gosh, maybe this is what it is, but I still advise you to go get an assessment. Don't just read my book and say, Oh, I'm depressed. It's the same thing as going on Google. Google going to tell you, you finna die. Right. <laughs> you know, when you try, when you Google a symptom or something. So please, by all means, it's just to give a, be a supplement and um, a guide to 
to maybe what someone else is going through and how they can overcome. I am, um, I'm, I'm just staring at you and with a smile. I'm, I'm actually talking <laughs> to a beautiful person who is defining their future. This is amazingly, this is amazing encouragement for me, for anybody who's listening. Mm -hmm. And because what happens is, you know, change is a, is a big fear for a lot of people because it walks into unknown. Yeah. And you're walking into unknown. Yeah. And so because known is you're a singer, known is you're an actress, known is you're famous. But the unknown is, does anybody want to hear this? But I'm going to just tell you something right now, Tanitra. I want to hear it because you are articulating it in such a tone of motivation, mm. of honesty, of uh, um, you're capturing my imagination. You're wanting me, you know, if we was at a church, this, this, this is the call to the altar moment. You know what I'm listen, saying? Listen, listen. <laughs> you know what? You said something about defining, I'm defining my future. Mm -hmm. And um, a friend of mine, we've been dissecting that word future. Literally mm -hmm. the past few weeks, mm -hmm. we've been dissecting that word future. Mm -hmm. And future means... Um, the time or period of time following speaking or writing. Mm. We define our futures yes. by what we speak yes. or what we write. Yes. And I was like, wait a minute, because we know the future to be as something to come. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I can define my future by what I'm speaking and yes. by what I'm writing. The past, if you look up the word past, it's the same thing. The past is something that was spoken or written. Now, how can I maybe reap better from my past? Start speaking better. Start writing better. Start sowing better seeds. And your, your future will be a little brighter. My thoughts, and I see it happening in my life. Wow. Tanitra Michelle Williams. She's That's on my it. show. She's on my show. She's talking about her new book, her first book, in fact, Checking In, How Getting Real About Depression Saved My Life, meaning her yes, life, sir. and Can Save Yours. Uh, 2018, that was a moment where she had to take control of her life. And this is what this interview is about, taking control of your life. That's and so, so many good. people... I, you know what? I love that perspective. Taking control of my life because going on three years now... That's what I've had to do. I didn't have anybody to hold my hand. It was a decision that I made. Mm -hmm. And Rashawn, do you think it's a decision people make as we get older? Because I'm 41. Well, I, I would tell you that I, I found out who Rashawn McDonald was in his 40s, in my 40s. You know, when I really, okay. you know, because I was just going through the process, making money. A lot of great decisions were being made in my career for me or by me. or and mm. But but people to tell me I was successful, but I didn't understand success. I didn't understand my gifts. And so my whole thing now is that for the, for the, you're living your decision. So in my 40s, I started living my life as Rashawn McDonald. I stopped using words like lucky, right place at the right time, because your book okay. talks about that. In the beginning, if you look at it, your book talk about somebody made a phone call and you just happened to get this. Yeah. The word luck comes into play there. And it's really not. Your gifts came into play there. But you were not 
clearly understanding your gifts. They were just it just it just pushed you in a certain direction, and opportunity was tied to that to that moment. And so now in my in my forties, I realized that I'm not lucky. I'm gifted. God has given me all these gifts. Now I have to apply them properly. And one of the persons who achieved a, the that foundation of me, that resolution of understanding what it was, was Steve Harvey. And so, because I, I, all those gifts were poured into his career and allowed him to become the person that we both benefited from that level of success. So when you say, it's, it's a, it, some people get it in 18, some people get it when they're 16, they have a clear understanding of their direction. All you're getting right now, Michelle, is an honest assessment of yourself and what you want to do. That's what you're doing right now. That's why it's important that we talk. I can't wait to see you because I, I owe you a big hug. I owe you a, a sit down, a walk in the park, just just something yes, normal, just a normal Rashawn McDonald talking to a normal Michelle, Tanitra Michelle Williams. That's what I owe Where you. Where are you based? Atlanta. Okay, well, come on now. I owe you a meal. We will connect this week. Seriously. I, I literally, I just became an official Georgia resident. I got my license. Well, too. you real then. We, we won't connect because I, I, got a, I bought a building here. I, 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 I Believe me, we, we're going to talk because. Okay, but, but I'd before, love that. I would love that. Because before we run out of time, I want to talk about the book tour that you got coming up here. You know, topics ranging for all these celebrities or your book tour starting May 26, 27, 28. You know, uh, Taraji P. Henson, Lecrae, that's my boy. Tina Lawson, yes. that's my girl. Latonya Lucky. Let's talk about this, uh, this book tour, this virtual tour that you're hosting, correct? Yes, it's a uh, it's conversations with Michelle Williams um, as it relates to my book, Checking In. And some of the topics are identity, um, anxiety, depression, singleness. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got some great names. We've got Devon Franklin, Chandler Moore, Tabitha Brown. She's going to we're going to be talking about. Well, the topic was supposed to be community, but she and I just talked about so much her health and um, like Taraji, like you said, Lecrae, Latoya Luckett, Tina. Lawson, Chloe Bailey, Dr. Caroline Leaf, who <laughs> is a neuroscientist and can break stuff down. She is phenomenal. Dr. Anita Phillips as well. Um, some so a great mixture of um, you know, celebrities, you know, giving some practical advice. And then we've got two, we've got Dr. Anita Phillips, that's a psychologist, and I named Dr. Caroline Leaf as a neuroscientist. Um, who can also kind of scientifically um, kind of break down what the mind and brain goes through. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm just, I am smiling. I am at you because I am talking to, I'm, I'm talking to you now. I'm, I'm talking to Denitra. I'm talking to a person, you know, in other words, nobody's written a, a, a song for you now. Nobody's told you a beat. Nobody's told you a choreograph to move in this conversation. And I want th these interviews, I want you to be you. I want you to be Tanitra. I want you to be that 18-year-old who wanted to go to Illinois State, who <laughs> wanted to major in criminal justice, but you had this big old gift, this ability to sing. And you was you and you were and you were uh, how did I say? Mm. Not sure how to go because you were a church girl. You had that secular yeah. over there, that secular yeah, sound right. over there. You know, battling that. So you always had that battle. And so when mm -hmm. I, so what God has done for you now, this is what He's done for you. He's set you on another path to be you. And these interviews, Chloe Bailey, you know, Taraji P. Henson, Lecrae, these ain't names you just throw out there. People don't. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, these people, these people, they, they spend time with you. They love you. They believe yeah. in you. And you know, Taraji, she's just. Finished a healing show 
for face, Facebook Watch. We was talking about yes. people coming in. She just finished that healing show. Lecrae just came off that book, Healing, Finding God, Understanding Religion His Way, you know. And it's so I just look at all this, and, I, and Devon Franklin, we all know about him, and Tamar Brack just interviewed her. It, yes, it, Tamar. It, mm-hmm. You know, so when I look at you and, and this tour, I just see a next step for you. And what I want to say to you, Michelle, be you. Be you, girl. Be the person I'm talking to right now. Mm-hmm. Be honest uh, and lead us and lead these people. Don't be don't don't be caught up and they might be lead them like I've been leading people for years, sitting there telling the truth. You are a leader, young lady. You yes, are sir. talking the truth. Share your story, and when you share your story, people will listen. And when they listen, they want to hear how they can be led, and mm. they be led in a positive manner. You are you are so close to what you want to be in life now. Don't stop. You're on the edge. You're looking. You're looking across the the mountaintop. Go over it. Climb over. it. That's all I'm saying right now. Come that's, on, come on. That's all I'm saying. Now, when I go over, do I? I'm, I'm going to need a parachute. Don't so. worry about it. Don't worry. It's going to be so many people waiting on you with their arms open, talking about, thank you, talking about, uh, uh, I need you, talking about uh, who else you can help. It's going to be so many people waiting for this to need your Michelle Williams, this version that you of life. This is your next version of life. This is your conversion. This is, I've lived many lives in my, in my and I've been, for, I'm living another path when I left Steve. I'm really living the life that I was, wanted to live when I was 18 to 24. That's what I'm living right now. And so I'm just telling you right now, that 18-year-old kid, you, you're living that life right now. And so what happens, I always tell people, between 18 and 24, that's really when you wanted to be, when you was ambitious, when you had dreams and that were different from other people. Now you're living a life right now that will make that 18 to 24 years work for you. Just lead it with honesty. That's so Michelle. good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Lead it yeah. with honesty. Lead it with uh, the ability to understand that you are great. I just wanted to take the time just to talk to you. You are in Atlanta. We will connect. I'm going to bring you by my office. We're going to eat dinner because I got a built-in. We're going to dessert you asking for all that. We're going to take photos. But more important, I got a garden in the back. I got okra back there, tomatoes back there, um, collard greens back there. Listen, all that. I need about... I need about seven to ten pounds extra on me. Don't so worry about it. Don't worry you about You're going to help me. When you leave, I'm going to leave. You're going to leave with a cake. Michelle, first of all, I want to wrap up this interview and just say, I am so blessed to talk to you now. This I'm version. I'm blessed to talk I, to you, too. I, I, you know something? Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. you always been my, one of my favorite people. But you, just, too. Yes, you know, sir. But to hear you talking the way you're talking now as Tanitra, girl. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The blessings are going to be just over. So go to that mountaintop. When you look over, I swear to you, it's going to be so many people going to make you cry. And you're going to slide down that hill because you're going to have to, they're going to have to part the ways. They're going to go, what What took you so long? Well, it took me 41 years, but I'm here, y'all. I'm here, y'all. Come on, sir. Come on. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle, coming on. Uh, uh, Tanitra Michelle Williams for coming on Money Making Conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rashawn McDonald, for having <laughs> me on your show, Money Making Conversation. Oh. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Petrol or electric? Petrol or electric? Why choose? 
petrol and electric. Discover the BMW plug-in hybrid range. Visit your BMW retailer or find out more at bmw.ie. Sometimes electric, always BMW. Hi, I am Rashawn McDonald, host of MoneyMakingConversation.com. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. They can be civic leaders, people in business, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award honoree this week is Kevin Bloodsoe. Don't limit your dreams. Kevin is a two-time Hoodie Awards winner for Best Barbecue in Los Angeles. Bledsoe has become a top television personality and food star. He has grown his business from the streets of Compton, California, into an international empire, from La Brea in Hollywood to Crown Casino in Melbourne, Australia. I, I don't give to be blessed. I'm blessed, so I give. It's not no secret recipe to this. You know, it, it, it has to come from your heart. Mm-hmm. It's more of the good things that outweigh the bad things. Right. And mm-hmm. God has put me in position to help like that. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is a combination of celebrity, entrepreneur, she's definitely an industry decision maker, Denise Williams. She's one of the youngest real estate brokerage owners in the United States. She's a multi-million dollar top producing real estate agent and has the largest black woman-owned real estate brokerage in Atlanta with over 60, 60 agents on her team. Denise is also the Chief Information Officer for the Rap Snacks Corporation in partnership with Master P. She recently launched an online academy to mentor into entrepreneurship called the CEO Owner Academy to show entrepreneurs how to transition from working as a CEO to retiring as an owner through marketing, automation, and systems. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation for her very first time. And she's looking fantastic. She's looking like an angel, Miss <laughs> Denise Williams. How you doing, Denise? Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I appreciate well, that. First of all, you know, we're in the era coming out of we we coming out of COVID. You know, mm-hmm. we may we no, I shouldn't say that. The the rules have changed of COVID, you know, because we it seems like we're gonna exist with COVID throughout at least my lifetime because they're talking about booster shots you have to get annually, like right. the flu shots and things like that. Uh the first out of the box. You experienced 2020, like all people were shocked, like all mm-hmm. people, but somehow the real estate industry was still booming during yes. COVID. Talk to me about that. Absolutely. So it was definitely a shock. Um, you know, no one really anticipated what COVID would bring uh, to our lives, right? But real estate, we really had an incredible year with regards to real estate. One of the main drivers for that was the fact that interest rates were at such an all-time low. I mean, there were so many buyers that were able to enter the market and get, you know, less than 3% interest rate on their homes. And then those who already owned homes were able to use the refinancing programs in order to get even lower interest rates than what they currently had. So because of that, there was such a rush of people wanting to buy uh, that really just increased the purchase prices, brought things through the roof, on top of the fact that I'm here in Atlanta, where, you know, we make social media, because of social media, it looks like the best place on earth, which I'm biased because I live here. I think it is the best place on earth to live. And so we have such an influx of people who are coming and relocating here uh, to experience some of this Black excellence, to experience the culture and just the energy of the city. So our purchase prices are going through the roof. Really, uh, not only just in Atlanta. I know my wife is in Houston and she was selling... Mm-hmm. Uh, her, her mom's home, 
and uh, the asking price was like $170,000. She sold for over $200,000. And yes. she and it wasn't because she was raising the price, it became a bidding war. It was like yes. it was like the home I'll, I'll be honest with you, the home was not it's just a nice little patio home, single story, mm-hmm. you know, a nondescript community neighborhood in Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. And um it was just she had like 14 buyers like within yeah. three weeks. What is creating yeah, this shortage? It's incredible how many buyers were overbidding on properties. I have buyers now that are not even asking for closing costs. That's almost unheard of right now in our market. Uh, the appraised values aren't always coming in, but you have buyers now paying the difference between what's being lended to them and that appraised value in order to get into these homes. Well, you get these titles, you know, uh, one of the youngest uh, real estate brokerage owners in the United States, you know, and you can get those financial numbers attached to you. So people expect certain things from you, multi-million dollar deal closer and your woman owned. So let's talk yeah. about the youth, before, the youth part of your of your career right now and how the benefits of it and also the building that experience and respect level. Absolutely. So when I became a real estate broker, I was pretty young and there weren't many other women or black women, especially that I could really look at and get experience from. So being a pioneer comes with a lot, uh, especially when you're a black woman. Mm -hmm. So I had to really just say within myself that, you know what, it doesn't matter if other people have paved the way for me in order to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. What's the worst that could happen? You know? And so it's been the best decision that I could have made, uh, being able to inspire other women of color to now start other brokerages, even within my own team, having some of those agents to create teams under my brokerage or branching out and starting their own. So it's been a beautiful journey to be able to make that decision and make that happen. Um, On the flip side of it, because you don't necessarily have a roadmap, you have to go through the trials and tribulations on your own. You know, I've had, you know, I've lost a ton of money Uh, This is actually my second brokerage because the first brokerage that I had, I went into partnership with someone and it wasn't a good fit. didn't work out. So you have to go through a lot of trials and error, uh, lose a lot of money and then still keep going if it's something that you really, really, truly want to do. Okay, so the the next question is being that you're a female, like I said, you're young, you're Mm African-American. And then the fact that you've already publicly admitted in this interview that guess what? There are going to be some hiccups and some of those hiccups are going to cost you money. How do you overcome that? Was it tied to not having a budget uh, tied to not going into business with the right person? What, Mm -hmm. what made you stumble on that first that made you also say, I won't stumble like that again. Absolutely. So the biggest thing is I didn't take my time in doing my due diligence. So what I encourage people to do is when you decide to start a business, of course, you're going to do due diligence on the industry. You're going to research, you know, how it can be profitable and things of that nature. But when you're talking about actually starting with a partner, you need to do due diligence on that as well, because that's essentially also a marriage. So the same way you would date someone and you want to know their background, you want to know what their parents are like, you want to know their credit score, you want to know what their personality is, you have to also take that same approach in business and do a lot of due diligence before you sign your name on a dotted line with someone. Because if you don't, you can end up, again, losing a business, missing out on a lot of time and a lot of money because you chose to jump at an opportunity uh, more quickly than you should have. 
Now, that's really a good, good notes, and thank you for telling my, my listeners and okay. also as my viewers about this because we're now airing on um, AIB-TV in the Atlanta market on oh, Comcast too. 295. Two million homes are watching us weekly on Thursday nights. The show premieres at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But I want to just tell you this, Denise. When I, when I look at you, I look at a talented person. But, you know, I just read some nice credits about you, you know, that they sent over to me. Who are you? Who am I? So me personally, I am obviously a real estate broker here in Atlanta, but more on a personal level, I am a mother uh, before anything. I think that's the most powerful title that I've ever had uh, to a son named Destin, who's actually the co-owner in my business. And one of the things I want to encourage the listeners out there, especially parents, is that you need to make sure that you're taking your children along the journey. So one of the things that I do with my son is I don't actually make any decisions in my business without his approval. He gets to see every commission check that I earn. He helps me to hire and to fire. Uh, he gives me his opinion on things of that nature because I think that it's so important that we stop being just first-generation millionaires or first business owners in our family or first this and first that. At some point, we have to start leaving a legacy where our children are second and third and fourth generations to the businesses that we created. So personally, I'm just so driven by legacy and just teaching not only my students in my CEO Owner Academy how to become owners, but also in my very own household. So that's something that I'm personally very passionate about. Now, being a member of a, a very powerful sisterhood, uh, the ladies of Delta Sigma Theta, and uh, come on now, DST, come on, woo come on now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a proud member of Omega Side Five Fraternity Incorporated. So again, uh, the blessings are we have a certain uh, lineage, as they say, which is, runs back to the fraternity and sorority. But that helps having that relationship that you can turn to sisters who trust, yes. who want you to have that upwardly mobile mobile uh, concept in life, and also mm -hmm. uh, pushing you with relationships that you can count yes. on. I think that really helped you as well. And I want to talk about the value of relationships. Relationships, as it is with your with your sorority, but also in life, because you got to have relationships to win. Absolutely. So, with regard to being in a sorority, it was a beautiful experience to be able to join Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. It was absolutely amazing. In fact, my first real estate transaction back in 2012, when I got my license, was one of my line sisters. So that was the <laughs> benefit of like actually being in a sorority because. You can be honest with them, right? You can tell them it's your first time and they're going to be patient with you and they're going to give you that opportunity versus really going out with a stranger and taking them through the process and making a lot of mistakes. So I really uh, appreciate my line sister for being willing to do that and to trust me in that process, uh, being that it was my very first transaction. And as far as just relationships across the board, relationships are going to get you indoors that money can't buy. And I tell people that all the time, like you have to appreciate relationships with people and never play the short game. Right. You always want to make sure that when you're thinking about business, especially in a service-based industry, never think about someone as a transaction. Never think about that as just a one-time, a one-hit wonder, if you will. Right. Because you're not only servicing that person, they're watching you to be able to service their friends and their family. So especially in the real estate business, you want to have a repeat and referral business. That's the only way that you can make it through. Okay, let's go on. Let's, uh, you're an attractive woman. And so we're in a business where Thank people you. can only see you for being attractive. But you're also a businesswoman. 
So how yeah. do you make sure people understand who you are? Who's Denise Williams is? You're about business. Don't let the colds fool you. Don't let the makeup fool you. Don't let the hair fool you. That's right. a, this, you know, because some people try to try to blend that, try to make it make <laughs> your your calls or make the business deals you're trying to close to be more than what it really is. Yes. How do you make that define that line about business is business? I res- respect me for doing biz- good business. All right, so that's an incredible question. I've actually never been asked that question before. So one of the things that I take pride in is respect myself on social media. I'm not going to show a lot of skin on social media. I'm sure that people are looking at me as a business person, as a professional, both in personal and professional lifestyles. If you're showing people one thing and you're portraying something, then they're going to try you. Uh, that's just the nature of what it is. And even with regards to conversation, you want to make sure that you're keeping all of your conversations about business. If you find that you're working with a client who is taking that conversation uh, to the left field, then you want to check it at that time. You don't want to go down that rabbit hole and entertain it and kiki with this person because, number one, you have to make sure that you're protecting your reputation, especially as you elevate in the stage that I'm at in business. It's going to be even more important for me to make sure that people aren't saying the wrong things about me mm-hmm. and how I've been able to get to where I am. Well, it's important because right now uh, you uh, have like 60 agents that are under your yes. uh, business umbrella. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You're doing something that I can't do. Okay. I, <laughs> people say, well, what? because it's a unique thought process. You have, to, yes. you have to be patient. One thing, you have to be patient. You have to be mm-hmm. knowledgeable of the... Uh, of the trends, you have to be like a, a on your feet accountant, or, or because yes. people ask you numbers all the time. What really got you into the business, you know, and mm-hmm. of being in real estate? Because you, your degree was in finance out of Valdosta, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so that had, that didn't say anything about real estate. So, mm-hmm. how did you make the shift to this? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So, when I graduated with a degree in finance from Boston State University, I went the corporate route. I went into a position that I felt was one of the probably the worst jobs I've ever had. <laughs> and the reason being is not because it was corporate, right? It was because I was actually in an industry where I wasn't helping my culture. I was actually hurting my culture. It was for a title pond company. So I felt like I checked all the boxes with regards to going to college. You know, I pledged in a sorority. I had a high GPA. I, you know, joined honor societies, did community service. But for whatever reason, I still couldn't find a job that was professional, in my opinion. And so I had to find a way to get out of that. And so in doing research, you know, when I looked at millionaires and billionaires, I realized that all of them had their hands in real estate whether they were investing, whether they were owning, whatever the case may be. And I'm like, wow, okay, if I know that that is where I want to go, then I need to duplicate the system, right? So I decided to look into real estate, and I was also a single mother at the time, and I needed a job that was going to give me flexibility with regards to my schedule, and I also don't like people telling me what to do. And in telling me what to do, if someone (laughs) can come to me as my boss and say, well, you're only worth this X amount of dollars per year, I just didn't like that. I wanted to be in an industry that I could choose and dictate what my worth and income could be. And so real estate checked all the boxes, um, especially with being able to be my own boss. You know, I've always wanted to become an entrepreneur. I love helping people. And I think this industry matches me perfectly. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I bought several homes in my life. You Mm -hmm. go to that title company. And they give you that piece of, I shouldn't say piece of paper, that book to sign, which I don't know what's in there. I just, they say sign, 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 sign. I just start signing because Lord knows I don't know what I'm signing. 
Yeah. What is in that thick piece of closing paperwork? Can you help a brother out? Help my viewers <laughs> out, my listeners out? Because we just signing and trusting yeah. our broker, our real estate agent to get us through because the title person, we don't know. That's just right. a company that you work with on a regular basis. They have their set fees. You have to yeah. have them to close, a, to close on your home. What is that thick piece of paper that I've signed more than six <laughs> times in my life and still don't know what I'm signing? Absolutely. So we have a running joke in real estate where it's like, you know, make sure you bring up extra hands to closing because you're going to have to have so many different documents that you're going to be signing. So that's a great question. Uh, most of those documents are going to be documents from your lender. They're going to make sure. So one of the misconceptions is that when you're purchasing a home, the closing attorney is working on your behalf as a buyer. And that's not the case. The closing attorney actually works for the lender. So all of those documents are lender, most of those documents rather are lender documents. So that lender is making sure that you're not only telling them over the phone and sending documents that you are who you say you are, but you're actually signing in writing to state that what you gave them is in fact true. Mm -hmm. They're also making you sign documents that are gonna make sure you understand the details of your loan so that later on you can't say, well, I didn't know that my amortization schedule was gonna do this or I was actually paying double for the home in this way and that way. So I encourage you to look at the amortization schedule before you sign so that you have a clear understanding of what you're actually gonna be paying back over 30 years. You're also gonna be looking over what we call an alter statement which actually breaks out all the costs and fees that you're paying at closing. So some of those fees are going to be your closing costs, so the closing attorney's fees, your prorated taxes, your they're going to escrow your homeowner's insurance policy, things like that. All of those things have to be outlined at closing in order to protect you and the lender when you sign. Whew. Thank you. <laughs> Brother Nakin, well, I do look at the amortization, amortization, because I want to know what I'm paying. I'll tell you, I do yes. that. I do look at the sheet that tells me the taxes, what fee is being there, what the yes. percentage of the of the uh, of the loan is going to be. Because I've been fortunate, I have paid off all my loans ahead of time, and I've That's also awesome. there is an you advantage know, to even, doing that. Even correct. That, most loans nowadays don't have a prepayment penalty, so if you are a buyer out there, then it's awesome. You can definitely pay your loan back early by making additional payments throughout the month. Uh, but most people, what they look at is just that cost to buyer uh, line, which is at the bottom saying how much you need to actually bring to closing. But I encourage you to also double check and make sure that any credits that you were supposed to receive throughout the process, especially from a seller, if they said that they were going to contribute, say $10,000 towards your closing costs, you want to make sure you're getting credit for that at closing. There have been issues and errors, no one's perfect, right? Where sometimes you might close and you didn't actually get the credit that you were supposed mm -hmm. to. So that's why it's very important that you work with a realtor that's going to double check those documents for you to make sure that you're not overpaying something that you shouldn't have been paying in the first place. Well, Ms. Williams, let's, let's go to this question here. I bought a building in Atlanta mm -hmm. last year and I bought homes. What is the difference, or uh, do you do commercial as well as uh, residential? And what is the difference between residential, being a residential realtor, and a commercial realtor? Yeah, absolutely. So I primary service residential clientele. Um, I've done a few commercial transactions. I've actually just become a part of the ULI uh, REIT program where I'm learning more about commercial real estate. Because unfortunately, it's one of those industries that we don't really have access to. It is a very tight-knit type mm -hmm. of field, uh, but it's something that I'm not going to allow to be an excuse for me. So I am diving headfirst into commercial real estate this year. Um, now, with regard to the difference, one of the misconceptions 
about commercial real estate is that you actually need a separate license to be a commercial realtor. That's not true. When you get your real estate license, you're, you're licensed to sell all real property. So that means buildings, houses, lands, uh, anything that is real estate related. So I think because they've done such a good job of marketing them separately, a lot of agents never think that they can actually learn or sell commercial real estate. So I'm so excited that you actually took a stab at it and purchased commercial real estate because even as business owners, a lot of times we don't look at, okay, well, how can I own a building? A lot of times we'll just look at, okay, I want to fix and flip a property or I want to buy a house, you know, to add to my portfolio. But I encourage the listeners to think about being a commercial landlord. You can own a commercial building and have tenants paying rent the same way you can own a house and have tenants paying rent. So don't box yourself in and think that you only need to buy residential real estate when commercial real estate can be even more lucrative depending on what you purchase. Absolutely. Now, you are more than, as they say, she's more than a real estate agent. She's more than a brokerage. Now, do you have a building or you have an office or are you virtual? When I see, the, when I see 60 agents, are there 60 agents located in one location or they're through virtual, they're coming out of the office? Are there, is there a building someplace with your name on it, Denise? Yes, it is. So. After COVID, we've taken a hybrid approach. I've had an office space since I started my business. We actually just moved out of Buckhead into the West End, which is an amazing up-and-coming area uh, at the Metropolitan Lofts. The reason I left Buckhead, not it wasn't anything bad. It was just that I think culturally it's going to be a better fit for us to be in the West End because of the growth. And then also in my new space, I'm able to have more of a creative environment. So we're actually located at 680 Murphy Avenue, Southwest in Atlanta, 30310. And in this new space, we're actually going to have a full kitchen. I'm in my build-out phase right now, so I'm so excited about it. We're going to have a full kitchen so that when clients close with my company, they're able to actually get a chef-sponsored dinner. Uh, at certain price points, we're creating an experience for our clientele right there in office. Uh, we have a training room, and then we also are going to have my favorite part, which is a marketing studio. Because as you know, marketing is the number one way to grow any business. So my agents are going to actually have the opportunity to come into the office, get photo shoots done, create content. If they want to start a YouTube channel, they can do so right in office. If they want to do a podcast, they'll be able to do so in office. So we'll have a dressing room for them to change. And it's just going to be a whole vibe. And so that's why I had to transition and move to a, a bigger space uh, and then also more of a creative space. I'm going to start calling you Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood, Denise Williams. Come on now. So if you need to shoot, you know, call me. I'll let you get the marketing studio. Come on now. But I, I, I love that because first of all, you are, you are chief information officer for the Rap Snacks Corporation in partnership with my boy, Master P. Tell us yes. about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that has been a life-changing experience for me to be a part of the Rap Snacks organization. So shout out to Master P, to James Lindsay, who's the owner of Rap Snacks, as well as Wise Intelligent, for giving me this opportunity. They've trusted me to not only partner with me, but to also help them with several different initiatives under their umbrella. So one of the things that I'm working on with them is actually the Buyer Blocks uh, Incubator, which is going to teach individuals how to purchase their very first property, as well as an investment home. So it's, it's an extremely beneficial program that will be rolling out this year. Well, it's great. And I want to close talking about your uh, your mentoring academy called uh, yes. C-Owner, CEO Owner, which uh, we just entrepreneurs how to transition because that's a problem, people, transitioning mm-hmm. out of uh, one level to the next or another job yes. to the next or being a 40-hour-a-week person and now they want to be an entrepreneur. Tell us about mm-hmm. C-Owner. 
Academy. So this CEO Owner Academy is something that's so near and dear to my heart. It's actually something that I've been wanting to do for over a year now. And the premise of the Academy is to teach uh, aspiring and current entrepreneurs how to grow and scale their business. I think that a lot of people want to be CEOs. They want to own their own business. But why is it that they don't think beyond that? Because to me, by definition, if you look up, you Google CEO Owner, I mean CEO then you're still an employee of an organization, even if that means it's your organization. So that doesn't mean freedom. That still means that you have to pick up the phone when people call you. You still can't leave and go on vacation without your laptop. So my goal is to teach people to not just stop there. Don't just say, okay, I have a CEO title and now I've made it. Let's think about how you actually retire as an owner because in my space, I would never be able to call, you know, if you work for Keller Williams, you can't call Gary Keller. He's been able to implement systems and automation that allow him to make money without actually being present. And especially in our culture, I think it's important that we stop working until 65, 70, 80, even if it's within our own business and really learn systems that are going to allow us true freedom, because that's what I'm working so hard for. The money is going to come as a byproduct of my hard work and the way that I treat people. But freedom is going to come by intention, by systems and automation. And those are the things that I teach in my academy. You know, the interesting thing about it, people always look at me and uh, my wife always say, you you, you, you spend more time at your office, you spend at home. I, well, I love my home, but I also love my office, you know. And yes. I think that you, what you're creating at the new location, it's going to be a place where you got a kitchen there. So you want to go in the refrigerator and get you something. You want to make yes. your own breakfast at the office. You can do that. I, I, you know, if you want to bake something, you're just creating an, a vibe for yourself. And you're and yes. you're changing the rules. Because yes. that when I bought this building, I, that was one of the things. I wanted a full kitchen in it. I wanted a full kitchen. Awesome. I come in. My my staff know they got their own refrigerator. I've re, rebuilt out the basement where they have their own refrigerator, dishwasher, nice. their own food and all that stuff. So they come up in my kitchen, my refrigerator, we got a problem. Because I told y'all, don't go in my refrigerator now. Because I got... <laughs> so so make sure you get their refrigerator and your refrigerator, okay? Because you don't want everybody... Right. That's go. actually a good point. That's I'm just telling point. you now. I'm just telling you right now, Hollywood. I'm just telling you right now, Hollywood, how you got to be now. And then they now, understand... where's my invite? You have me on the computer. I want to come to your building. Oh, don't, don't, don't worry. You're going to come by because I like you. I like you. I, I want to invite you. because Because, see, I always enjoyed this the format that I've created called Money Making Conversations because I learn about people, I educated. I get educated about the process because I know a lot, but like so many other people, I'm just going through the motions. I'm going through the motions when I buy homes. I'm going, I know somebody guided me through purchasing this building. I really don't know what I signed, but I got the right lawyer and I got the right person I've known for many years who did the commercial loan for me and found the building. So I was in good hands. But there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people that are not in good hands. And that's why I'm talking to you. I, I feel you're one of those in good hands people. When they come to you, there's no agenda. It's about business. It's about getting the best deal for yes. the, for your client. And the client being the person who wants to buy the house in your future, buy the commercial building because you're getting into that business. So, But I also yep. see a dominant amount of people in the commercial side that don't look like you. And that's why I, want, that's why I brought that up because we out there dominating, we we having homes and selling homes mm-hmm. and stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm telling you something. You get a building, a fifteen, twenty million dollar building, forty million dollar building, you know, that's that'll keep you busy for a couple of years with that commission that's check. That's life changing. <laughs> that is life changing. And that's the route that I'm going because people don't think about it. But if you uh, even with commercial leasing, this is something that people don't know. When you lease a commercial space for a client, 
you actually get paid what they call first and four. Mm -hmm. So you get paid the first month's rent and then you get four or five percent of the lease amount for the life of the uh, of the, the lease. So if that's a 10 year lease, you're getting residuals for 10 years based on your, you know, for your commission. Mm -hmm. And so I think that agents have to really start to think about like, okay, do I just want something real quick or do I want some life changing money? And that's why I'm pivoting more into that space because I'm like, you know, we only have one house that's the most expensive house on the market right now is worth $15.5 million on the residential side. Right. I mean, that's a baby building on the commercial side. Yes. So if you really think about it, it's like, okay, it may take me a year or two to get a commission check for $30, $40 million, but so what? You know, uh, we have to think bigger. And that's some of the things that I'm exposing my team to. And that's why I'm so grateful to have been selected into this REIT program because I'm learning so much about commercial real estate. And it's actually geared toward putting more diversity in the space. So it's a really, really phenomenal opportunity. Well, you you know you're in the, you know you're in the right place and you know in the, in the right city. Uh, Black Excellence yeah. does does uh, excel in this particular market. And I just wanted to bring on the show, Denise. I heard a lot of great things about you. My boy Ash Thank Cash you. was just screaming, screaming the blessings of Denise Williams. She's a phenomenal person. You got to put her on your show. You got to put her oh, on your show. Thank you so much. And but more important, what he didn't tell me that I was going to be meeting Hollywood, Denise Hollywood. <laughs> he didn't tell me about that. I got to bring Hollywood by my crib over here so we can eat some food upstairs <laughs> and stuff like that. But thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. You're fantastic. Uh, you we're definitely going to, offline, I definitely want to connect with you. And just, just you know, like I said, I my whole life, I built this brand to mentor. I built this brand to just have right. people in a position because I've been very successful in so many lanes in my life. But more importantly, being able to share that success, that knowledge. I don't want no mm -hmm. checks. God has given me the checks I need. And it's yes. called relationship. So again, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. Thank you for having me. I had such a blast. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm Ibram X. Kendi, the host of Be Anti-Racist, a new action podcast I'm launching on June 9th from iHeartMedia and Pushkin Industries. Each week, I'll be joined by a special guest to discuss how different policies and platforms can dismantle racism to build a just and equitable world. You'll hear from folks like Rebecca Coakley, Heather C. McGee, Mariam Kaba, Don Lemon, and David Trayer. We'll tie the past to the present, inviting listeners to consider what an anti-racist future might look like and lay out the strategies and narratives we can all rally around to achieve one. An anti-racist future depends on my actions, on your actions, and Be Anti-Racist will help us understand precisely how we can build it. Listen to Be Anti-Racist on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My next guest is Youssef Salam. He's an inspirational speaker and prison, prison abolitionist who at age 15 was one of the five teenage boys wrongfully convicted and sentenced to prison in the Central Park Jogger case. In 1997, he left prison as an adult to a world he didn't fully recognize or, understood or understand. In 2002, the sentence for the Central Park Five was overturned and all five were exonerated for the crime they did not commit. He is on the show to talk about his new book, Better Not Bitter, Living on Purpose in the Pursuit of Racial Justice. It is the first time that one of the new exonerated or the now exonerated five is telling their individual story in his own works. Yusuf writes his narrative, Growing Up Black in Central Harlem and 
in the 80s, being raised by a strong, fierce mother and grandmother, his years of incarceration, his re-entry into the world, and, of course, exoneration. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm going to call him correctly like his grandmother called him, Master Yusef Salam. How you doing, sir? Pleasure to be on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. This is a great moment, great opportunity to really talk truth to power and utilize story for what it's really for, right? To shine light in the darkness in the world. Absolutely. And uh, and I we were talking off air, but let's bring everything on air. Like I, I moved to New York. I was living in New York between 1988 and 1990. I went up there to pursue my comedy career. Felt I was going to be the next Eddie Murphy, you know, Richard Pryor. He was the legend. I knew I couldn't be the next Ed, Richard Pryor, but Eddie Murphy, I thought I could get to him. And I would, so I lived that life, you know. And I, if you was in downtown Manhattan, you could not catch a cab. They would not stop and give you a cab if you were trying to go to Harlem. It was just ridiculous how blacks were being treated at that time and being uh, second-class citizens. And, and, and the, so I was there, living in the city. I was living at 86th and 1st, which is Yorktown right there. So I was living in a little, you can call it a one-bedroom, you said, but it wasn't no one bedroom. It was a room. It was a room, brother. It was a room, but it cost like $800 a month. I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. Not in the rest of the country, uh-huh. right? There are examples of what one bedrooms are, are really one bedroom. Right. This was, I know exactly what you mean when you say a room, but New York City, you know, I'm living in Atlanta now, and any, like, if you look at my house, my house in New York would be over a million dollars. I over 500000 for my house down in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And it fits the mansion. Absolutely. Well, I live in Atlanta, so we have to connect. So I didn't know you was down in Atlanta. I definitely got to connect, bring you by my office and sit down because I read the book, man, uh, Better Not Bitter. And based on what happened to you at such a young age, one would think this would be a book about anger, about hate, a book about uh, how I've been done wrong. It's a book about motivation, a book about a slice of life, telling your story to people who are important in your life, people who are important in your life when you're incarcerated, but also as a celebration of overcoming the odds. Talk to us. Absolutely. You know, what I what I really want to expose in Better Not Bitter, my memoir, is I want folks to know that when you fall in life, and it's not a matter of if you fall, because my good friend Les Brown always reminded me, it's about when you fall. Try to land on your back. And landing on your back is about trying to find the goodness, trying to find the blessings in everything, right? Looking at the experience and not necessarily saying to yourself, oh my goodness, this is terrible, but looking at the experience and understanding that God is making sure that you become a survivor, right? And so I looked at my story and I heard the words of Dr. Maya Angelou. And Maya Angelou, you know, Dr. Maya Angelou said something so powerful. She said, you should be angry, but you must not be bitter. She said, bitterness is like a cancer. It eats upon the host. It doesn't do anything to the object of its displeasure. Then she teaches us the alchemy. She says, use that anger. You dance it. You march it. You vote it. You do everything about it, she said. Then she said, you talk it. Never stop talking. I found that Black men rarely get the opportunity to really talk about the experiences that are plaguing us, especially in America. But when we do get that opportunity, it becomes so transformative. It's therapeutic. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. And you can talk about these experiences, get them off your chest. And then when you can look at it from a different angle, you get the opportunity to see the hand of God mm-hmm. in the midst. Well, you know, the, the, important, the, important, the important part of the, this conversation that we are having is your faith. Because oh. it drove you 
to a point uh, to a, a, a sense of security, a safe zone, and, and and being thrown into an environment that you knew you were innocent. Um, you knew it would change the even when you got out, it would change the way your perception of opportunity in life. At what point did it start to come together that hey man, this is my life? And you started building this support system in the prison. Because you had a support system outside, your sister, your mom, your grandmother. That was strong. But inside, you also had to build a support system. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, the beautiful thing about being insulated in the fire, right? And I call it that. I say it that way because, you know, I feel like the system created this this condition. Right. And in the condition they created, they said, we're going to put him in the fire this situation that we're going to put the five of them in is going to be so terrible, so difficult. They will never be able to escape. And if they, they happen to miraculous, miraculously survive, they will never be able to be successful in life. And the beautiful thing, like I said, is that being in that fire, I remember reading a poem and the poem said, prison life in many ways can be likened to the womb. If the life inside becomes still, the womb becomes the tomb. And so this this idea that you do not want to die physically, mentally, or spiritually in the womb of America, right? Many people go in and they physically die in that womb. They come out alive, but they are void of any life. And I think that when I looked at my situation, I said, man, well, what can I do? How can I talk to people to let them know that I'm innocent? And what I found out is that me telling people that I'm innocent, the officers said to themselves, this guy is not supposed to be here. I mean, the officers, the inmates, of course, as well. But that power of being able to have them see me for the first time, as opposed to seeing what the system wanted to be, wanted to define me as, they said, no, this guy is not who the system is saying he is. Right. This guy, this guy is different, you know? And it, and it really allowed us to become modern-day Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. You know, and I think that that's one of the powers of story um, that I'm telling in this particular book and, and utilizing what I understand about what happened to me. Well, you know, one thing you did lose going to prison was your sense of style, you know, your sense of, uh, you know, the shoes, you know, the tie, the suit, you know what I'm saying? You said, look at you even smiling now because you, know, you know what I'm talking about coming on my show, no tie on. Every every picture I see this brother in, he wearing shoes I wear. You know, I was so mad. I was looking at this book. I said, ooh, look at them two tones right there. Them two tones right there. Every picture he take with the exonerated five, he the only one got a suit on. He's, he's, he's the class. He's the epitome of excellence. He articulates. He got his degree while he was in college, took advantage of the system. So let's talk about this style that you, uh, that you, uh, that you, uh, that resonates your personality. Why is that well, important? Yeah, so I think I think it's important because, you know, it has nothing to do with um, what other people see, mm-hmm. right? It has everything to do with what you see when you look at yourself in the mirror, right? People say all the time, wow, you clean up nights. And I'm not talking about me, but I'm talking about any one of us who chooses to refine ourselves, right? We put a suit on, we put a tie on, um, we, 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 clean our hair up, we clean our face up, you know, whatever it is that we do, we look at ourselves. First of all, we, other people look at us and say, wow, you clean up nice. But what happens is the most powerful thing when you look in the mirror at your own self. I often think about my circumstances and say to myself, thank God I don't look like what I've been. Right. 
most people look at me and they say, no, this guy had, he could have never gone to prison. He doesn't sound like a person who went to prison. He doesn't look like or act like. Nothing about him says prison. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's the beauty of God. God has allowed me to be a shining example of what could be possible for all of us, right? We can reject, literally throw back the definition of life that they want to give us and know that we were born on purpose and with a purpose as opposed to being relegated to the modern day cotton fields of America, right? That's what they want for us to believe. So, so many, many of the stories that I've heard have been stories where people have said, no, we are supposed to be dead or in jail before we reach the age of 21. And many of us play into that false narrative. And I'm going to say false narrative again, because it absolutely is when you think about the grand miraculous thing that happens to all of us. Our mothers and fathers get together. We become one of over 400 million options racing to the edge. And we are chosen to meet. Look at the odds. That means that we are born on purpose. And if we're born on purpose, we have a purpose. And so the psychosocial reality of being able to really understand that, the system, is, the system may tell you, you're not worth nothing. Right. And if you believe if you believe it, you're going to move throughout your life like you're a mistake. But once you believe that you're worth everything, once you believe that you are the future mover and shaker of tomorrow, you will begin to move throughout your life with a different type of purpose. And that's what this book is all about. It's about me understanding what happened to me. Me understanding that I had to remember what my mother told me, the very last instruction she gave me. She said, they need you to participate in whatever it is that they're trying to do, mm -hmm. not participate, refuse. And so how does that show up? It shows up by you refusing to accept the box that they want to put you. Right. You refusing to be that gnat. I forget the name of the, uh, the study that they've done, but there's a study where they put a gnat in a, in a, a container and the gnat only jumps so high, but the gnat can jump 10 times higher than that. Mm -hmm. That believes only that it can jump that high. Mm -hmm. And the gnat teaches the children of the gnat that can only jump that high. Imagine if we teach people that we can, uh, I mean, we, we see this in sports, right? We right. see Michael Jordan, a, a, a Kobe Bryant, a LeBron James, any of the great Shaq, right? We see them doing sacred geometry on the court. It looks magnificent, but when we, when we understand what we're looking at, we know that that is us as a people. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Wow. You know, when I'm, I'm talking to Yusef Salam, master Yusef Salam, uh, your, your grandmother would, would always say that to you. And it says, in your chapter, you talk about a name is important. My name is Rashawn McDonald. I thoroughly believe that if my name was Ricky McDonald, I would be a different person. My name's Rashawn. I've always been treated different. I've always been noted. You know, people can't spell it, so they have to... I have to correct them, or if they learn how to spell it, they re respect me or understand my brand. Talk about the... Why your grandmother, uh, who passed away, I think 2014, correct? And uh, why was Master important to her in front of your name? I think what she was doing, which was so important and really so impactful, was that she needed, well, one thing she needed to do was to make sure that the people who were holding me captive needed to know who they had. I always got my mail, and I'm saying that because for those who don't know, when you write to a person in prison, that letter is fondled, is read, 
mm-hmm. by the prison officials before it gets to the person that it's supposed to get to. Right. I always got my mail. So imagine the officer getting the mail and saying, well, this is to Master Yusef Salah. Reads it, sends it off. The contents of the letter is what is important. Over and above the title, it's addressed to because the title is telling me to straighten my back. The title is telling me to remember, not just remember who I am, but remember in a Sankofa kind of moment, sacred memory. Who you are is attached to the people you come from, even though Dr. James Baldwin said to be African-American is to be African without memory and American without privilege. And so we experience this, right? Many of us know we're not supposed to be under these kinds of conditions. But imagine when when you are told that by one of your elders who knows the truth. Right. He's sending you messages. She's sending you seeds. She's allowing those seeds to blossom and bloom in this dark space called the womb of America so that you can metamorphosize into the butterfly that you need to be. And it's so important because if if somebody calls you out of your name, Usually you get upset until you begin to accept it. Right. And so you have a Kuta Kente knowing that he's a prince, knowing who he is and whose he is and where he comes from, being told, no, your name is now told. He fights tooth and nail until miraculously we see something and we don't see it until later. He buries the truth inside of self, even though he accepts outwardly what they are saying. But inwardly, he never accepts that his name is told. He knows who he is. He knows he's a prince. He knows that his people are looking for him. He was kidnapped, just like people get kidnapped in America. Now, today, mm-hmm. as part of the great transatlantic slave trade, many of us have unfortunately had that reality heaped upon us, and so we don't know where we came from. We don't know who we are. We actually begin to hate ourselves and everything we have been told about us because what? As we look out of the window of life, we see others looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Everything advertised with white skin. Everything is talked about through white skin. Right. And so we look at dark skin and we say we must be cursed. We don't get the opportunity to understand that the absolute antithesis is the truth. That we are not cursed, but we are blessed and highly favored. How do we know that? Because as we are born out of our mother's womb, we are automatically born on the right side of everything because they look at us and judge us by the color of our skin, not the content of our cap. There you go. You're absolutely correct. You know, when you in the book, you was talking about you were 16 years old. You standing in the hallway and they said that they have a verdict. And you went back into the courtroom and uh, it was announced guilty. And they sent you to Rikers. And why is Rikers such a horrible prison? Let me ask you that question first. You know, Rikers is, there's so many facets, I think, that makes Rikers one of the most horrible places on earth. But I think part of it is because you have the proximity of people being able to go right to or talk right to or be connected right to the people who they once were. When we come home from prison, one of the most transformative things a person can do is to leave the communities that they came from. Right. And I'm not saying that because I want you to, 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 to take away your, your, um, your, your, your value, right? If you 
you know, like a lot of, of people in the, in the entertainment industry, they happen to leave because they know that they have to insulate themselves, right? Why do they have to insulate themselves? Because America has created poverty and pushed it upon the people in the margins of life. And the people in the margins of life are now responding in a way where we call it the struggle or the survival mentality. What happens when you struggle? What happens when you have to survive? And that's the only thing that you can do. You do anything. And so in prison, a place like Rikers Island, Rikers Island is a place where people sometimes have not yet been convicted of the crimes that they have so-called committed. And I say so-called because we find out that there's so many people, you look at the colleague brothers of the world who are not supposed to be there. Right. Right. And then you have other people who are actually criminals who have gotten caught, but they are still doing criminal things. They are running the jails. Everybody has this false narrative when they see people show photos of the prisons that they are in, and they look strong and buff, and they pose and, and everything like that. And I'll never forget hearing a conversation that Ross Baraka had put on one of his uh, albums. And he said, nobody talks about the grown men crying Mm-hmm. I was I was in Clinton with Tupac. Mm-hmm. I was in Dannemora with Tupac, and I remember hearing him say, "On the gate," and that's something that people in the officers say to the inmates. He said, "Yo, on the gate," and everybody got on the gate. And he said, "Listen, man, I'm just trying to do my bid, just like y'all." Everybody was sending him pieces of the magazines that they would rip out and send to him and say, "Hey, can you sign this? Sign this to my family, my daughter, my friends." I just want to let them know that I'm in here with you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at prison, prison has a way of turning people into criminals, even if you are not a criminal, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Even if you're not a criminal. Why, why do I say that? I say that because it is the absolute worst place that you can go. Once you've gone there, you're gone. You mm. know that that's the worst that can happen outside of death. And wow. so when you're in a struggle, right? You have to understand that in the struggle, the struggle is not about a physicality. It's not about war in terms of fighting, in terms of beating someone. Right. War, its greatest tool is the mental to get you to accept defeat. We know the thing about it is that I had a younger brother. He went to prison and and I went to visit him in prison. And, uh, you know, like you said, you know, I was in I was in tears watching him and he was saying, I can't cry. I got to stay hard. And um, that false narrative. And then he said he had to connect with some certain people in the prison so he can stay safe. He had to get into a, a click or a run so he can be able to have somebody have his back. And then you talk about, as you say, when your time becomes short, people can do things to make your time extend or attempt to kill you. So there's a mindset that operates in prison. I'm just taking knowledge from your book. Your book is amazing. And the book is called Better Not Bitter, Living on the Purpose, Living on the Purpose in the Pursuit of Racial Justice. And the story you take away, I'm looking at a, a humble man, looking at an educated man, and you're right. You don't fit the example of somebody who's been wronged, who's been in prison, and then actually taking away some really key developmental years. You know, 15 to 18 is when you really start learning about responsibility, learning about being a man, learning about trying to go to college, learning about trying to, trying to if I'm going to have a wife in my life, you was in jail during that period. And so what allowed you to be able to 
I know your 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 faith. I know your the Muslim community was there for you. Your 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 parents were there, but you had to be there for yourself. How did you, as a mature young man, be there for yourself? You yeah, I think I think a lot of that was when you asked me about the name, right? What do you respond to? Mm-hmm. I had to, I, I I was told this, but I didn't yet really truly know this. And what I mean by it is that I was told that in the community where I came from my parents had to observe me for seven days. Right. They knew, just like African communities know, that the child that is born is actually a gift from the creator. But in the Islamic community, what happens is that you have to observe the child to figure out who this is so that you can name it. You don't want to name it Hennessy. And I'm not saying anything bad about anyone who names their child Hennessy, but I want you to understand that when you give a person a name, a person, a name, that defines who they are. And so my parents named me Yusuf. I never knew what Yusuf meant. My middle name is Idris. My other middle name is Fa'adil. And my last name is Salah. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people would say, hey, what's your name? And I would say Yusuf Salah. Sometimes they would call me Joseph. And I got upset. Because right. Joseph won't sound nothing like Yusuf, not to me. <laughs> Yes, it wasn't sir. until I got to prison that I found out in the Bible there was a young man named Yusuf in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I found out in the Quran there's a young man named Joseph in the Quran. And I'm mixing it up, of course, because I found out the Arabic equivalent to the word Yusuf is Joseph in English. But the definition was never there. Reading books about baby names, I found out that Yusuf means God will increase. That Idris means the teacher. Fa'adil is with justice and salam is peace. My parents named me seven days after I was born. God will increase the teacher with justice and peace. When you are looking for purpose, quite oftentimes, it's not until later in our lives we try to say to ourselves, what am I supposed to be doing? What's my purpose in life? But imagine finding purpose in the valley, the valley of despair. You know, Dr. King said, when you find your purpose in life, do it as if God himself called you to do it at this very moment. Right. And he gave us this beautiful example, not of the greatest purpose, but of what purpose still is. He said, if your purpose in life is to become a street sweeper, he said, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep the streets like Beethoven composed music, like Leotard Price sang before the opera. Imagine that kind of individual turning up their light in dark spaces. Imagine that person raising their vibrations. And collectively, we can all raise our vibrations. Collectively, we can all turn up our light. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when I looked at, you know, being associated, right, in prison, it wasn't that I was just de- uh, defining myself as Muslim. But I was born Muslim. But now I was studying. Anytime you have a people tell you what something is, oftentimes you say, I don't want to be that. You hear the word Muslim, and you say, those are terrorists. I remember telling my, my daughters once, I said, listen, if I, you know, 2019 was very busy for me. Right. If I'm running towards a plane and I got to connect to other planes and all of this stuff, imagine this scenario. I'm running to a, a plane, and I get to the plane. They're about to close the door, and I get here just in the nick of the time. Right. And he said, wow, so we were just about to close the door. You've made it. And I said, wow, God is the greatest. Mm-hmm. 
I get on the plane, I see somebody in first class, they hadn't yet opened their water. I grabbed their water and say, is it okay? They say, yes. I say, thank you. I open their water, drink the water and say, wow, God is the greatest. Mm. <laughs> same scenario. Same scenario. Now, mind you, there are Christians in Arabia. Mm-hmm. Same scenario. <clears throat> they speak Arabic. They say, Allah, for God. Christians. Mm-hmm. Same scenario. I'm running to the plane. I get there. They say, wow, sir, you just made it. We were just about to close the door. And I say, Allahu Akbar. I just missed my plane. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But you know, you know what happens, right? Yes, sir. And I'm saying that the definition yes. right? As soon as people understand, oh, they're just saying God. Right. Mm-hmm. What does Allahu Akbar mean? It means God is the greatest mm-hmm. or God is greater than anything. So when you hear the call to prayer, which says Allahu Akbar, mm-hmm. Say to yourself, I'm supposed to stop everything and turn to God and be thankful. Wow, that's absolutely true. But I have to give. And guess what? When you're thankful, mm-hmm. God gives you more. It's a beautiful process. We know the thing about it is that, because uh, I want to wrap up, but I want to say a few things and I want you to respond to it. You know, it was incarcerated. Uh, then uh, Donald Trump took out ads, $85,000 in ads, calling you guys everything, every every bad name he could say that he could put in the newspaper. He then become our president. So we know the values he had for men of color. In 1997, you walked out of prison. Um Spent time in prison for a crime you didn't do. 2002, you was exonerated. Then you received a settlement. And then um, Ava DuVernay. I think what Ava DuVernay did with you guys was like from a visual and a global perspective really freed you guys. I said freed you guys uh, from a, in a media standpoint and a, uh, and a standpoint. You know, the court can say you're free, but what she did was set y'all free. And that's important to know. And now with that freedom that you now have, the intellect that you've gained being educated in prison, being educated by life, being exonerated, getting some money for for being in jail for a crime you didn't commit, which we know is never enough because those years were valued years. What is the purpose? What is your goal? Because you talked about purpose. As we close out this interview, what is your purpose, Master Yusef Salam? I think my greatest purpose is to call people to God. My greatest purpose is to utilize my story and tell people, like I've always said in more recent times, that the Central Park Jogger case is not what you think it is. It's actually a love story between God and his people. Central Park Jogger case, the case is a case where God has used it and placed the whole system on trial in order to produce a miracle in modern times. It's a story of how a people can be buried alive and forgotten. The system forgot we were seeds. And it's a story of a people who have been given a social death. And instead of being buried alive and forgotten, they emerge like the phoenix from the ashes. Because as they built the fire to consume us, they forgot that God is the owner of the human. Imagine if we believe again and we're thankful and we say to ourselves, Help me, right? When you say to God, help me, guess what happens? God helps you. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. Like I said, it's, it's one of those things that it's not until you are tested that you can really say, I got to testify. Because you can't testify unless you've been tested. 
You know, I was listening to my my inspiration, uh, E.T., and he said something to the effect. He said, you know, everybody wants to be a diamond, but nobody wants the pressure. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants the pressure, and then the more pressure, and then the more pressure that's added to create a diamond out of that piece of coal. Mm-hmm. And then after the pressure, nobody wants to be cut. Mm-hmm. Because cutting the diamond, cutting the coal in into the shape of the diamond is what proves that it's a diamond. Mm-hmm. And it looks so beautiful. It's one of those things that you say to yourself, wow, this is one of the most rarest things on the planet. And I think that what we need to understand is that all of us are diamonds. We're just in the rough. Love we're it. still diamonds. Love it. And when we see ourselves as that, we get the opportunity to give ourselves back permission to be great. Well, you are great, my friend. Again, better not bitter, living on purpose in the pursuit of racial Justice. Master, it doesn't say master right there on the book, but it should say that. It should say humble. It should say a, it should say a, a representation, a representative of blackness. Who over, it should say overcoming the odds. It should say, it should say so many blessings. A blessed man. It should say that too, because that's what you are. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Petrol or electric? Petrol or electric? Why choose petrol and electric? Discover the BMW plug-in hybrid range. Visit your BMW retailer or find out more at bmw.ie. Sometimes electric, always BMW. Hi, I am Rashawn McDonald, host of MoneyMakingConversation.com. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. They can be civic leaders, people in business, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award honoree this week is Marlon Evans. He is more than a former athlete. A former Stanford University football and track star, in 2018, Marlon was named CEO of Next Cubed. This investor creates and accelerates frontier tech companies, emphasizing the digital health and financial tech, including the HBCU Founders Program. Is what makes for successful entrepreneurs. And we just want to flip that light and say, look, you can do this as well. You've proven you have that desire and that will. Now, let's just make sure we get the resources that can help that grow. And that's what we're doing through the HBCU Founders Program. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Brandon Thompson. He is a native Houstonian. You know, I got it. So, you know, I love him already because I'm from Houston, Texas. He graduated from Prairie View A&M. That's HBCU for, for anybody who don't know about the power of a of a of a HBCU. That's Prairie View A&M. Used to, his degree was in electrical engineering. My degree was from University of Houston in mathematics. We'll talk about it in a minute. While he was able to finish through with his engineering degree, I couldn't make it past physics. He founded Trade House, a company that partnered with an educational platform to, to, be, to teach people how to properly invest in the foreign exchange market. Within 
in only two years of its inception, Tradehouse, a wealth management organization, has grown to 80,000 active members. In fact, the co-founders and Brendan are actively engaging daily to help mentor and coach new members who join their wealth management group regardless of one's location or age. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, straight out of family, no, excuse me, not fam, Prayer View and m thinking about my boy Will Packer, who's also an electrical engineer, Brendan Thompson. How you doing, sir? You doing well. How you doing, Rashawn? Well, first of all, you know, uh, what part of Houston you from? I got to break it down, man, because I'm a Fifth Ward boy. What what part of Houston you grew up in? Missouri City, Texas. You know, they say most city. Most city, Texas. <laughs> See, right there, right there. See, I'm Houston, Texas. You don't hear me say Mo. I said Fifth Ward. Then all of a sudden, I ask him, say, where you? Oh, Mo City. Mo City. Missouri City. So you're going to start short change. But that's a great area. I grew up. I know it's very familiar with that area of the, of the they kind of grew up before being county of Houston, Texas. And so would you be in, would you, what, what has inspired you? You went to a HBCU school, which is Prairie View and m which is like 45 minutes outside of Houston, Texas. You have Texas Southern right there in Houston, Texas. Down the road, you got Southern University. Up the road, you got Grambling. Why Prairie View and m So, Rashawn, if I could just give you a little backstory on, you know, my college journey. I started off at Hampton University, to be uh, honest with you. I started off at Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. and for those of you that know about Hampton, it's a private school, HBCU as well, but very, very expensive. So, you know, I couldn't, you know, continue because of financial woes. So I decided to transfer. And when I was looking at schools to transfer to in, in Texas, you know, I looked at U of H, I looked at TSU, and I also was looking at Preview. You know, U of H, you know, I, I, not to say anything bad about the school, but I just heard that you would get swallowed up you would just be like another number. It wouldn't give you that same HBCU feel. Uh, TSU didn't have my my degree. They had electronic engineering, but they didn't have electrical engineering. Preview happened to be the only school within uh, that Houston area that that accepted the bulk of my transfer credit. So I went ahead and, and I became a Panther. Well, I rolled up that road down to the baby dome. Some Panthers up there. Sure. <laughs> now, here's sure. the, the cool thing about it. Like a good friend of mine, Lonnie Love, she uh, graduated from Prairie A&M. She's Lonnie Love. She's the, one of the co-hosts of the talk show, The Real. And she graduated electrical engineering. So they now... Prairie View has been known. When I graduated from high school, a lot of my friends went down to Prairie View and have I'm living very successful lives. But you was talking about the culture. Like, I graduated from University of Houston. You can't get into the numbers game. 40,000 students walking around on that campus. And when I, when I was there, they didn't have that college life. It was much more of a commuter school. And so my executive producer of Money Making Conversation, she's a Hampton grad. So when you said Hampton, you know, she all the dancing in the studio, throwing her hands up in the air. And so I, so I got a, a lot of pride in them. Then my boy, Will Packer, he graduated with electrical engineering degree from FAMU. Now, you got electrical engineering degree, but you're not doing, as they say, electrical engineering. So tell me about that transition. So... <clears throat> When I transferred to, to PV, you know, I went ahead and finished off and, and got my degree in electrical engineering, as you mentioned. And before I even walked across the state, I, the stage, I'm sorry, I already had an offer to the Boeing company. So the Boeing company offered me a full-time position where I started my journey in Long Beach, California. So I hadn't, you know, um, ever been to California before in my life. And it was a dream of mine to go and live there. 
But, you know, I didn't know exactly how I was going to get there. So lo and behold, you know, Bowen offered me a full-time position like maybe a month or two after I graduated from PV. I moved out to Long Beach, started my journey. And I'll be real with you, Rashawn, you know, it didn't take me too long to figure out that corporate America just wasn't fit for me, right? I found I found that I was like a shark in a swimming pool. I was the youngest, blackest person on my team in every team I was on. And I started to feel like, you know, my, my gifts and talents just weren't being put to good use. Um, you know, maybe I wasn't the smartest in the company, but I had the most, I feel like, uh, business savvy. I was, I was more of a, a person that can solve problems. Maybe not, you know, mathematical, I could, but my best, you know, strengths were, you know, business. And I saw that I was on the wrong side, one of the company and just the wrong side of, you know, of, of becoming successful and how to approach it. So when I came across, you know, the foreign exchange market, you know, it was like a light bulb that went off. I said, wow. I said, this is something that I can actually use as an exit strategy. Cause I was, I was no, no dummy. I wasn't about to just quit a six figure job, <laughs> but I said, you know what, if I can really hone on to this skill, if I can really understand this industry, I can use this as a exit strategy to go full-time investor entrepreneur. So I came across the foreign exchange market about 2017. So I had been working at Boeing for maybe like eight or nine months. And as soon as I really understood what the industry was, I said, you know what? I'm walking off my job in about a year and a half. I can't, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm not as happy as I thought I would be. I thought making six figures would be, you know, that golden ticket. You want to be a six figure earner. That's what everybody wants to be in college, Mm -hmm. you know, coming out. And so as I realized that, you know, it wasn't about the money, it was more so about the fulfillment and what you were doing on a daily basis. And I wasn't getting fulfilled as a person. And so, you know, as I began to get immersed in the skill set and I got better and better, I said, you know what, this is something that I could really take all the way. And uh, at the top of 2019, I, I went ahead and fired my boss before they fired me. And, uh, and I, and I took my talents all the way to, to full-time entrepreneurship and I didn't look back. Now, you know, let's go, let's go and talk about where he was at a six figure in Houston, Texas salary and a six figure salary in California to them salaries. Now the, the, the housing, the rent, the taxes is super crazy in California. So right there, you know, is a game changer right there. Just putting, just buying tags for your car is crazy in California. I'm just let you know. I I think I was paying like I paid my tax on my car was like forty dollars in Texas. It was like a thousand dollars in California. It was just the numbers are just different in how you living. Yeah, you got the numbers on your paycheck, but you're giving it out as soon as you cash it. So that was part of the process too. As a forty hour week guy, now as an entrepreneur, the reason I brought you on the show. I never, the foreign exchange market, I don't know what that is. I'll be perfectly honest with you, Brandon. I don't know what you, when you start talking like that, you, you come on, you've come in, you, I brought you on the show to educate me as well as my viewers and listeners. What is the foreign exchange market? So the foreign exchange market is, it's the largest financial market in the world. The largest financial liquid market in the world is generating, you know, anywhere from 6.5 to $7.7 trillion a day on a given day. This is in volume. So when we're talking about, you know, trading, you know, in the foreign exchange market, you are literally trading, you know, currency pairs, you know, in their exchange rates. So as currency pairs, you know, uh, 
exchange rate fluctuate, you can make money on the rise and fall. So, you know, just like stocks or something like that, you only make money, you know, on the rise of a share. You get in at $5 a share. If it goes up $10, $10 a share, you make money. Where, well, as in, whereas in the, the foreign exchange market, you can make money on the rise and fall of an exchange rate. So, for example, if we were to go out of the country, let's say from, from Houston, Texas, we fly to Italy, right? Right. Fly mm-hmm. to Italy. They're... they're their, um, I want to say their currency is the euro, right? The mm-hmm. currency is the euro. So when we get there, we can't spend U.S. dollars. We have to convert our U.S. dollars to their primary currency. So just for a simplistic, you know, a simplistic understanding, let's say it's a two to one ratio. For every two U.S. dollars we give them, it equals one euro. So if we give them a thousand U.S. dollars in return, they'll give us 500 euro. Now, let's say we're on that trip. It's all expense paid. You know, we're just having a good time. We don't have to worry about anything. We just have some spending cash, that 500 euro that we converted over from $1,000. Let's say at the end of that trip, we end up spending nothing. We still have that 500 euro. We get back to the States and we realize that we cannot spend euro in the United States. So all we have to do is, you know, I'm pretty sure people have seen it in the airport. Go to those foreign exchange center booths and say, hey. I want to exchange my 500 euro back to U.S. dollars. I didn't spend any of it when I was on the trip. Now, logically thinking, people are going to be expecting a thousand U.S. dollars back. Nope. But what can happen? Two things can happen. You can get more or less than what you exchange. You can give them that 500 euro and they give you 2000 U.S. dollars back and you profit $1,000. Or you can give them that 500 euro and they give you 500 U.S. dollars where you lost $500. The, the, the education in, the, is, in that is where you understand what's going on. So if I understand the foreign exchange market, I see that, you know, the euro can get stronger to the U.S. dollar, meaning that when I exchange it over, it can double, triple, whatever what I did, what, what it was before I exchanged it. So at first it was $2, but when I exchange it back, it's $4. So I can actually make money not by spending it, not by necessarily working, but just by exchanging currency at the right time. I don't know if you caught that, Rashawn, but you know that's the basis of what the foreign exchange market is. It's just buying and selling currency and, and making money off of the fluctuation of the value. Well, you know, because I, you know, you know, I travel. I've been to Mexico, been to Europe. You know, the currency exchange, and I never really pay any attention to it, you know, other than when I'm there in the moment. And so a lot of people don't. A lot of people, African-Americans especially, they travel and they either get get caught up in the complications or they just spend spend cash. You know, especially if you go to Mexico, you right. give away with just spending cash. A lot, of, a lot of places that you go. But I've never heard this because I'm a stock buyer. You know, I buy stock. I buy mutual funds. You know, I invest in insurance policies that that that, that give me a, a secured interest on my uh, on my uh, money. Then I invest if it's a universal or whole. You can get a secured interest usually about four percent. So that's where Rashawn McDonald's mindset has always been when it comes to investing. You say, hold up, put the brakes on, pump the brakes, Rashawn. The foreign exchange is also a market that I can invest my money into. Are you saying that as well? Absolutely. How? So do I come to you? Do I are they got stockbroker offices open like they do it? No, you can you can definitely come to me. That's that's exactly what we do. We we teach people how to, you know, um, start participating. So 
to be completely honest with you, you don't have to pay anybody to, to get started and start uh, trading in the foreign exchange market. It behooves you to get some education and get a mentorship and, and be attached to some type of platform that can give you guidance. But honestly, you can go start a, start a broker, right? There's, there's thousands of brokers online. If you just Google Forex broker, you can start an account for free and you can put a, as little as some brokers allow you to put as little as 10 bucks in, in your account to get started. Some are 50. It just depends on the broker. And you, you, once you get that broker, you then attach that broker to your, your trading platform, which we use either MetaTrader 4 or MetaTrader 5. These are actual, actual apps on your phone that you can download for free. So once you get your broker, they'll give you some credentials to connect that broker account to your uh, trading app, which is, could be MetaTrader 4 or MetaTrader 5, and then you start trading. It's as simple as that. Wow. You know, but what we do is we, we, we give you that guidance. We give you that, you know, that mentorship to show you not only, you know, how to just put money in your account, but how to actually make it grow consistently. And that's what that's what that's what trade house is all about. Right. Absolutely. OK, cool. So, you know, let, let's talk about your background here a little bit. You know, you went to Prairie View, went to Hampton first and it was all. So money has always been at the forefront of your conversation, because like you Absolutely. said, it was too expensive. So you had to come back to the Houston area and. uh Considered Texas Southern, but it didn't hit your major. And then you wanted to, you like that HBCU culture, that 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 structure that fell. You walked around, and it was a competitive environment with people that looked like you. Went to Prairie View, got that degree, went to California, Snoop Dogg country, realized that, okay, cool. Snoop, Snoop, I gotta go, brother. Gotta go. I gotta get out of California. I gotta get out of Compton there, everywhere. I'm out. And so now you're back in Houston, Mo City Boy, and Trade House. You know, reason I say that because you seem like an innovative. You seem like a person who sits around. Who is your core group? Who who's your thinking team? Who who is inspiring you and your group to be able to take a lot of these ideas to the next level? Because you know, like with all of them, Apple, Microsoft, they didn't start by themselves. They had a little core group of fellows that that managed to build these franchises out. Who who is your team? Absolutely. You know, my my younger brother Bryce Thompson. He was actually one of the first people that I introduced, you know, to the skill set. And, you know, he was in college at the time, struggling college student at Morehouse College. And, um, you know, when I seen this, I said, man, if I would have had this in college, this is definitely something that would have changed the trajectory of my finances. And, you know, I always wanted to put him on something, but I wanted to make sure it was sustainable. And I knew that he can have, you know, a long longevity in it. And so... I passed this along to him, and then, you know, he got a few of his friends on. Uh, shout out to Nathan Samuel, Ian Jackson, Reynaldo Perez, just to name a few. It started with about four or five of us, but, you know, I was the one that kind of spearheaded it, brought it to everybody, and then we started to, you know, collaborate. And, you know, amongst us, we we started spreading it to the colleges. I called it the Rich College Kids Tour. Um <laughs> Because simply, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to start, you know, at, at my my uh, demographic because we were already in college. I said, I mean, I already graduating college. I was looking for people that were already in a learning environment and were looking for extra money. So I felt like that was the best market to start. It's like we can get you here in college where you're already in a, in a in a mindset to learn something new and you you want to get more money because we know the struggling college student story, I said this would be the perfect, you know, demographic to start at and, and really take this to the next level. 
Well, wow. So you guys have been, you and your brother Bryce have been featured in Forbes magazine. Now, what did that do for your brand? Come on now, Forbes. Oh man, it it, it definitely legitimizes it. You know, um, you know, like you said, our 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 people don't really understand. You know, the the investing world. I feel like we've we've taken over a lot of different industries from entertainment, sports. You know, but I feel like business and and the finance world is something that we're still you know uh, competing to really you know hold the crown in. So like to have that article written for both of us in that light, you know, just just it gives validity that uh, that we can be you know on top in that space and that you know it's 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 a lot more room for us. We just have to you know put ourselves around the right people that had the right information. You know, it's really interesting when I hear you talk because you're young, which is a blessing, but you but you figured it out young. I always tell people, you can just figure it out. I don't care if you're 40, 50, 60, just sit down and figure it out. But also you have to trust yourself. And then when I say trust yourself, you, obviously you graduated, you went to California, you was living the quote-unquote plan. And then you yeah. said the plan is not working for me. So when did you start trusting yourself, Brandon? Well, you know, I always was was one of those people that I wasn't necessarily like a logical thinker. I'm a logical thinker, but I'm very intuitive, right? I'm very in tune with 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 the spirit, right? And 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 my inner self. And one of the people that I looked up to, one of my, I guess you could say my virtual mentors is Napoleon Hill. And I probably start watching um, and reading some of his material back in 2015. And uh, I watched a video on YouTube called The 17 Keys to Success by Napoleon Hill. And I would watch, you know, uh, 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 I guess an excerpt every day before I went to class. It was 17 of them. And, you know, once I realized some of the things I was doing was actually on accident, like, you know, manifesting things. And he actually made it like a, a actual thing where I was like, wow, I can actually be intentional about manifesting my life. I can be intentional about, you know, the things I do to get success. So once I understood that there's intentionalism behind succeeding, then I start doing those things on a, on a daily basis. And I realized that, okay, cool. If I want to do something that's outside of the norm or that, that might look crazy to other people, it's okay. Because if I'm intentional enough and I understand the formula and the recipe to success, it's going to all make sense at the end of the day. Well, you know, the interesting thing of what I love about you, first of all, is that you don't forget the value of being an HBCU graduate and then you have your scholarship that you created to fund HBCU students in the STEM uh, uh, lane. Why is that important? Oh, it's, it's super important. Um, it's, it's not enough of us in that space, one. And so I wanted to be a, an example to say, hey, look, I'm somebody that, yeah, I'm not in the field anymore, but I did use it as a platform. Um, and you can do it too. And then I also know that, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of smart kids out there that are struggling in school mm -hmm. and they, they want to be able to focus. I remember struggling at Hampton more specifically um, when I was going for my electrical engineering degree. And it was so, it was such a different experience because my finances weren't in order. Mm -hmm. And when your finances aren't in order in school, it's hard to, to I guess, focus on 
the scholastics. It's hard to focus on the curriculum. You're more so focusing on, man, how am I going to even buy the book? Right. How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to eat? You know, am I even going to have enough money to go to school the next semester? So it's a lot of it's a lot of distractions when you don't have your finances in order. And so if I could take that that thought away from a student and say, hey, you know, college is is your semester is paid for. Just focus on the on the books. Just focus on getting an internship. And and, and that's going to do you well off. Well, way, way more. Well, you're going to be way more well off if you're able to focus just on school than focusing on finances. So that was really big for me to be able to, you know, give back to to people that I know have been in my shoes before and understand the, the power of them, you know, taking that 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 woe out of their life so they can really focus on what's important. You know, um, I enjoy reading your the synopsis that was sent over about you because you talked about your mom and uh, you and your brother Bryce. And I remember my mom, you know, we. She, like I said, we were born in Fifth War. My father passed before she passed. She's passed now. And um, one of the things, she wouldn't move out of that house. You know, we grew up with a, you know, a window air conditioning unit. And she moved uh, the, the stove. You know, you walk, you, you, you lean on, you're going to get burned. You know, gas yeah. stove, you know. <laughs> whole thing was hot. <laughs> right. And I, I told her, I said, hey, I wanted to tear down the house. She wouldn't let me tear down the house. I said, okay, cool. Well, I'm gonna, Because I wanted her to live and experience central air conditioning, central heat. You know, just, just you walk into a room and it's warm, you know. And, uh, and I was able to do that and I, and, and, and before she passed because that was, that was one of my, you know, dreams of giving her that life. And, of course, she never went back into the old part of the house that she wouldn't let me tear down. So, basically, I built a new part of the house onto an old part of the house. And when I read about, you know, your relationship with your mom and how you and your brother, Bryce, were able to retire her and allow her to follow her and live her passions, talk about that, the importance of that. Oh, man. I think... I think every child wants to be able to pay homage to their parents, you know, whether it's financially or it's them just succeeding at a high level to make them proud. So, you know, graduating college was definitely one of the things that, you know, uh, that motivated me to finish. You know, graduating college was like, okay, I got to do it for my mom. She, she didn't, she didn't get to go. So, you know, she made it important that, I made an importance on it that I should go and I should finish so I could have more opportunities than she did. But, you know, getting into a space where I was financially, you know, uh, sustained, sustained enough to not only take care of myself, but then trickle it down and be like, hey, mom, you don't have to work anymore. You know, I'm making enough money where I can send you, you know, allowance every week for you to not only cover your bills, but for you to actually live a, a better lifestyle than you've been living. And, you know, that's always been a dream of mine. You know, they say you got to have a why. If you don't have a why, you know what I'm saying, then it's going to be hard to really push through those tough times. You know, the why stands for will help you, right? So in those tough times, you got to have something that you're anchored to, that you're, you're pushing for that's bigger than yourself. And so, you know, just having my mom in the back of my mind, knowing all the sacrifices that she made for me to even, you know, get to college, you know, it, it made me feel like a, a sense of responsibility that I had to at least try to pay her back. I know I can never pay her back, but I could at least, you know, you know, try my hardest to, to, to give her, like you said, a, a, an experience that she probably wouldn't have gotten if I didn't, you know, make that um, the forefront of my goals. Well, you know, before COVID, that's what they said, no mask. And we've been doing, we're doing virtual and uh, events for the past year. You got the I millennial three conference happening this month in Miami, my favorite city, by the way, 
I don't know why you're doing it down there, Brent. I know why. I love why you're doing it down there. It's happening again. Talk about how it started, you know, because the key word, you are millennial. And so, right. you, you know, millennials get a bum rap, rap. And I think they're easing up now because the fact that you understand mentorship, you, you crave mentorship, you seek out mentorship. And I think that's something that's important. That was something I didn't do. I didn't understand when I was growing up. And you guys understand the value of mentorship and just hanging around people who are experienced. Talk about the Millennial, I Millennial 3 conference that's happening in Miami this month. Oh, I'm super, super excited about IM3. You know, it's going to be a, uh, a industry shifting event. You know, just to give you a little backstory on IM, you know, it is a, you know, essentially a, 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 an event where we come together as a organization and we just give value from, you know, teaching how to market mindset, you know, you know, strategies on, you know, looking at the market and becoming more profitable. And then as well as entertainment, you know, we want to have fun while we're there. But, you know, we started off I am one in Atlanta, Georgia at the Four Seasons Hotel downtown. And we had about maybe 1,100 people show up. Very great turnout, you know, for our first one. And then the second one we had, I am two, was in Houston, Texas at the Marriott Hotel in West Chase District in Houston, Texas. And um, it was about 4, 000, a little over 4,000 people, you know, and then the pandemic hit right after that. Right. So now, you know, we've been able to finesse our way into the Hard Rock Stadium, <laughs> you know, where the Dolphins play in Miami, Florida. And, you know, we're expecting, you know, anywhere from 15,000 to 20,000 people in attendance. We're having performers like the baby uh, come out and give us entertainment. As well as I'm actually performing on on one of those days as well, which is something I don't know if you you knew that I'm, I got into music as well. But you know this this is going to be a life changing event for not only people that are there, but the people that have been looking at this industry and at this lane of investing in entrepreneurship and say, wow, like maybe this is something I should get in. Like it's becoming mainstream. Like your favorite rappers and entertainers are now starting to become more you know more keen to to getting getting informed and getting educated on this space. So I think it's it's well needed because you know the culture needs needs influencers and people that are in the industry that that we look up to to say, you know what, this is the right way to go. Learning how to invest is cool. Learning about cryptocurrency is something that you need to take serious. And so I, I'm truly excited for this event. And I know that it's going to be the catalyst that takes me, my organization, my family to the next level. Well you know you had me a rock star. The, the baby, you know, right there. My, my staff know. They always right. laugh. They say, that's, that's my song, man, Rockstar. The baby got him performing and doing his thing. Oh, and I, I was laughing when they had that Super Bowl commercial. I said, see, I told you, that's my part, Rockstar. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really great. In closing, man, what, what's your advice for the younger generation in terms of creating generational wealth when you talk about this, Brandon? If there's any advice I can give, uh, you know, the younger generation out there is, you know, when, you, when you're growing up and you have dreams, whether you're eight years old, nine years old, you have dreams of big dreams. And as you go, go into real life, you know, you, you tend to get jaded because of the people around you, the media and all that. You know, keep listening to that voice inside your head. Still stay in that, 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 that dreaming phase and understand that you cannot listen to people that don't have the information, the, resort, the results, or the lifestyle that you, that you want, right? If, they, if you're listening to them, ask yourself, would I switch lifestyles with this person? Would I switch bank accounts with this person? If the answer is no, 
and keep following your heart. I love it. Uh, thank you again for coming on the show, Money Making Conversation. I'm based in Atlanta. I still have a home in Houston. So if you come through Atlanta, please drop by Money Making Conversation. I got my building right here in the heart of Atlanta and Peachtree Corners. But more importantly, man, I want to keep supporting your brand. Send me some flyers so I can make an announcement about what you're doing down there at uh, Hard Rock Stadium. I love you, boy. You're, you know, you're going big, man. As they say, go big, go home, brother. But if you if you got a brand... You know, you're going to fill that stadium next year, man. I swear to you, you will. Okay? Yeah. If Travis Scott can do it in Houston at Astroworld, come on oh, now. Yeah. Why can't you do it? Why can't you hey, shake that? Why can't it. you shake the bank? Come on now. Why can't you shake the bank? We're going to do it like that, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate you coming on Money Making Conversations, okay? Appreciate you. Please remember, always lead with your gifts. And don't let your age friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. White's Art Auction is now on view at whites.ie and at our galleries by appointment. See wonderful works by Jack Yates, Sean Keating, Louis Labrocchi, Tony O'Malley and many other distinguished artists. Watch and bid live from 6pm on 31st of May at whites.ie. White's, where Irish art is truly valued.